Hey, I'm Lynn Rogala. And I'm Ali Diliberto, and we are coming to you from the ladies' room. So we can talk about removing stupid, frustrating, and toxic shit from the world in a way that's not prim enough for the dinner table. Okay, welcome back to the ladies' room. Woohoo! I am happy that we're here again. Me too. And we are really making it happen. We're making it work. Tim Gunn style, getting these done while I'm displaced and you're just finally getting settled and your schedule is changing all around. So kudos. I know. I feel like we've actually been in the ladies room by ourselves much less this week than we normally are. It's true. Yeah. That happens from time to time. And I am personally very interested in this topic because we kicked around whether or not we were going to do it. And then we decided to let it set a little bit. And then we came back to it because it's such a, it's such a really ripe topic, but I think, um, yeah. So you, you lead us in. So I'm going to lead us in. Um, (laughs) Okay. So right about the time of doTERRA convention, when, when I I was streaming it and you were going a little bit to it, um, I started to watch and it was partly because of the conversation we were having, because we were talking Before doTERRA convention, we told the non-toxic systems and the doTERRA origin story, little Emily and the magic flower, all of that. And one of the (laughs) things we like touched our finger to, but didn't pursue was the fact that there's such a listening for multi-level marketing or network marketing or direct sales or whatever you want to call it. Um, In, I think U.S. culture, especially, I don't think it's true everywhere. Um, I know in some markets, people just eat it up. Oh no, it's for sure true, at least in Europe. In Europe, but I think in Asian markets, they're more open, but whatever. So we're going to be talking mostly about American markets, that there's such a listening for them being automatically a scam or a pyramid scheme or whatever it is. And I was like, you know, I'm going to finally watch that LuLaRoe document, documentary, uh, Lula Rich, which is on Amazon Prime, right? It's not Netflix. I think it's Amazon, um, where they talked about the LuLaRoe <laughs> rise and scandal and all the things. Um just because I'm telling myself that consuming that kind of stuff is like good for the podcast and not just me binge watching some trash on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) I need to watch Tiger King for research purposes. And this is another one where, and we were just talking before the, the podcast started that Eric and I just watched the first episode of the squid game, which is currently blowing up on Netflix. And it was so trippy um, and we were talking and I was realizing like, this might be another one of the things that I watch and then be like, Allie, you have to watch this. Just like Tiger King last year. Like, John's this be is horrified. what usually happens. Like you start a book, a show, like anything. And then you're like, hey, you tell me all about it. And then I'm like, mm. and then eventually you either aren't as entertained or then I, you go, no, you should watch this. But as soon as you started watching L- the LuLaRoe documentary, I was like, I must watch this. So we can continue to talk about it. Yeah, because there's a lot of good stuff in it. It's pretty well done. I mean, it's it's obviously, it, it was so fascinating to me that the two founders agreed to be interviewed for it because, and I think that's kind of the lack of self-awareness. Um, like we've been talking a lot about the Dunning-Kruger effect right now too, because of what's happening with COVID and everyone doing Have you said what research. that is on the podcast? I think there's enough in the zeitgeist. I'm going to say zeitgeist too. See how fancy I am. Um, but I'll say it and what it is. So <laughs> the Dunning-Kruger effect is the 
phenomenon that if you're bad at something, you're also bad at evaluating how good you are at it. Um, and if you're really knowledgeable about something, then you know what you don't know. And so you tend to be more humble about your skills. And it's actually been studied and they've given people tests where they would give them a test of, of whatever, and then ask how well they thought they did on it. And the worse people did, the better they thought they did. And the better people did, the worse they thought they did. So basically we're full of society of confident idiots and like imposter syndrome geniuses, <laughs> which is not super great. Um, but that was, that was definitely <laughs> not great. No, I'm great. curious. Is this only um, an American phenomenon? Uh, I don't know. I, I would say it's not exclusively American. It's Western for sure, but I don't know if other cultures experience it. Okay. But it's, it's kind of, and, and it might not be, so there's two elements to it. One that I suspect is a human element, which is the same skill for doing a thing is used to measure how good you are at doing a thing. So I would say that's probably universal, right? Like if you're bad at something, then you don't, then you can't measure whether you're good or bad at it. But the confidently incorrect part of it might be just a Western or American or Florida syndrome. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. But, but there is like a brain thing, right? Where you, you just can't, it's the same skill set. You, you draw on the same skill set to perform a task as you do to measure your ability to perform that task. Cognitive tasks. This isn't about how well you hammer a nail. Right. Because that's a different skill right. to measure and to do. That's but demonstrable. For, yeah, for anything cognitive, your skill at the cognitive task is the same skill as measuring your ability to do it. So I think that's probably human. But the um, the part where you're just confident that you're amazing, maybe is, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't studied the Dunning. I, I don't want to be a Dunning-Kruger about the Dunning-Kruger. I don't know very much about it. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I think that was fully at play. Some element of that, like that lack of self-awareness. Um, was part of why they agreed. I couldn't believe that they agreed to be on this documentary because they're portrayed in such a horrible light, right. even in the interview itself. Um, and I'm like, yeah, they, and it did say at the very end, they declined the second interview. I'm like, yeah, I bet they did <laughs> because I think they probably got the, the measure of it by the end. But at the beginning, they're like, oh yeah, hey, it's us. And let's talk all about the history of LuLaRoe. Yay. Um, so I thought it was a really interesting contrast. And part of why we held off on doing this is we didn't want to talk about MLMs for like five podcasts in a row. Um, but I thought it was a really interesting contrast because if you can separate away like how something's implemented with, I don't know, I'm kind of talking in a circle right now. So doTERRA chose um, to use a multi-level marketing or direct sales model, um, like a commission model really for their product on purpose because they thought it was the best way to kind of spread the word. Um, and that model itself is not inherently bad any more than any, even like hours for dollars, which I'm not a huge fan of, isn't inherently bad. It's kind of like what you do inside of it and how you value and what you pay for. Um, like how we measure value, how we compensate value. It, it, it could be good or bad independent of the model. I would say... Right. I think the culture of a company and the culture that companies are born inside of have a lot to do with it. Um, just the same way we 
you know, talk about quote, big business or corporate America, like there's a lot of negativity around, you know, a lot of what has created stability in our economy and a lot of our lives. Um, and a lot of separating like the whole of it into little, into just like assumptions about something. And that happens. I think one of the things that's interesting is I think there's more and more about that happening in business in general, that it's starting to be looked at, um, so negatively. And I don't know if that's based on just what stories are being told, but we don't, I think we're, we're, we are as a U.S. culture starting to see business, small, medium, large business, like all fairly negatively. Yeah. And it, it really does sometimes depend on like the motive and the incentives and how those are lined up. Like I've worked on lots of projects where we had to put in extra hours and work late, kind of go the extra mile. And there's so much difference. And this kind of gets into Simon Sinek's infinite game, right? With the noble cause. We should do a whole podcast on infinite games mm-hmm. sometime because we mentioned it. Definitely. Um, but he talks about, is it a noble cause or is it, I can't remember the word he uses, the phrasing. Um, but basically like a, a cause that everyone believes in. So if you're working late or extra hours or super hard, for something that you really believe in, even if it's, I love my coworkers and the more we pull together, the better everyone does, that the same amount of hours and effort feel different than if you're in a place where it's put in this extra hours and effort or you're fired or whoever puts in the most hours gets a big bonus at the end of the year. Like that kind of, I don't know, I guess it's intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation is part of it and negative versus positive And like, I mean, have you been on a team before where everyone's pulling together and the days just fly by because you really are just enjoying what you're doing and you're producing something that you believe in and everyone sees the value versus like working someplace to survive where it's really negative and you're doing the same amount of hours and it feels awful. So a lot of times like motive and incentives and everything come into it too. Talk about an unprocessed conversation. (laughs) Last week we had an unprocessed one and this is more like I'm just talking (laughs) out my ass. (laughs) But what do you think? <laughs> okay. So, yes, I agree with you. I mean, we were just we were just doing um, a genius debrief for somebody last night and talking about that very thing and especially how their people skills and their genius lines up to really, really be sensitive to that. And that, that was something to give his leadership to in, um, in his job. So, of course, I think in the motive and like what really resonates with us deeply is something that we we have to give a lot of time and energy to. Um, right. So I want to go back to, okay, and, go and having just, just comment on who you just said and having worked at a, a place that didn't like kind of valued that, but didn't like valued it in the micro, but not in the bigger company um, that really affected him. Like that really right. affected his health and his emotional well being and his ability and like his energy level, all of that, because it was super valuable and, the company was extracting that value from him without recognizing that they were doing it and not, and not acknowledging or compensating it. Right. Okay. I agree. And so back to the LuLaRoe documentary, I wanted to say like, I had a very different experience of watching it because you kind of, you know, meta reported me all the things that were really interesting to you before I watched it. And as I was watching it, I was aware of how many of those things I wouldn't have picked up on if you hadn't said them. And it was one of those um, 
just moments where I was like, yeah, how your brain works and what you collect and listen to like the story under the story. Like some of that would have washed over me. Also, I was watching it with my mom who's a doTERRA like fanatic. And she had a really hard time understanding how doTERRA was different until like the fourth, ep- the ver- there, it's like a four part series. So until we got into like the very end of the third and then the fourth episode, she had a really hard time understanding like how doTERRA was different from LuLaRoe. And she's been immersed in this culture of doTERRA that's like super positive and, you know, human um, at their best and like all the, all the co-sourcing and all that co-impact sourcing and all that stuff we talked about for, you know, like years and, um, as a customer, but she still had a hard time understanding that. And I thought like, oh my gosh, if my mom can't understand that, like who, who's going to get, um, you know, like the full, like who outside this would possibly be able to understand, understand that. And I think that's part of what was most interesting to me is, we haven't talked a lot on the podcast, but we've talked a lot about greenwashing and how you ever get the truth through um, to a consumer base because there's so much lying and manipulation in advertising and um, you know what companies are really doing, like they're pretending to do a small bit of good to you know change the focus of the large amount of destruction that they're doing. And they're doing it like really, you know, intentionally. And so yeah. Um, that was something that I really, no, sorry. I think we just delayed, but I was really present to that as I was listening to the, the show, watching the show. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is, so I think we should probably break down um, like what an actual pyramid scheme is because every MLM gets called a pyramid scheme by somebody because it's shaped like a triangle, but I've never been at a company that didn't right. have an org chart that looked like a triangle. And I certainly have never worked in a sales commission position where it didn't look like a triangle. Um, like my dad's been in sales almost his whole life before he started this company he has now. And it's always the case that you have, um, you have, uh, sorry, you have like a district manager and a regional manager above you who takes some percentage of whatever your sales are. Like that's just how any org structure works. So, um, right. but a pyramid scheme is that you make money because people are paying to be in it. That's like, in a nutshell, what distinguishes a legitimate um, MLM direct sales or even any sales organization. Like, both of my parents actually were in sales for a long time. Like, if you're selling windows or office supplies or whatever, there's some kind of somebody takes a cut of your sales all the way up the chain. Um, so, what really distinguishes And it could exist without an actual business attached to it. Like a lot of companies, I mean, I've participated in conversations and people have asked me to consult on things like they literally start out like with a conversation, not about like, how do we drive our model? How do we, you know, really best reach our customer base? We think network marketing is a good idea. They literally start out thinking like, what can we attach to the structure so we can make money on it? Yeah, right. And so- But the key is you get paid in a pyramid scheme, which is illegal in the United States. You get paid because somebody pays to join. And it can be as blatant as like a Ponzi scheme, like started by Charles Ponzi in 1920, whatever, um, where you actually made, quote, an investment and then you got your money back. So people would pay in $10,000 and then they would find 
you know, four more people and they would get like 5,000 of that and then pass it on up to double their quote investment. But really there was no product being sold. And then it always ends up collapsing because you run out of people to put their money in. Whereas in a legitimate direct. I I have to tell this little mini story that like you and I have a, um, like a, a friend or somebody we know that we've worked with who like brought to me like um a gifting like a gifting yes, scheme. I was thinking about but that. <laughs> she really didn't know even though like and I think maybe her experience with doTERRA made her more vulnerable to this idea which was confounding to me but she really didn't know like just because we're calling it something else doesn't mean and even I was like I watched this video and like I know this is bullshit, but I can't break it down through all the crazy that they're saying. And um, I know and they're like a lot of times current schemes that are quote effective or being used are like just skirting new laws around um, like crowdfunding or gifting or different right. things. And so it's hard for the government to keep up um, with, with this. But as consumers, like we have to use our head in a way that's like, if nothing's being generated, um, you know, a value in an economy, it's not good. It's not a business. It's a scheme. Right. Yeah. And the one, the one that you're talking about, cause I watched the video too. And it turns out that one's not, they called it micro crowdfunding or whatever they called it crowdfunding. And it's not technically a pyramid scheme. It's like a gifting scheme. It's more like a chain letter. You know, you put, you get a chain letter and you put a dollar in the envelope and you mail it out and then you know, then you get all this money the in the mail people, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And that actually gets recycled every year on Facebook as an Amazon gifting scheme. Like you buy a $10 gift from Amazon and then you get 20 gifts in the mail. And then people always post that and they go, if you're going to be just a bummer, don't even participate. This is for only for people who want to have fun and get a lot of gifts. I'm like, yeah, okay, <laughs> fine. It's a pyramid scheme. It's a chain letter pyramid scheme. But that one was like technically a gifting scheme, which I don't know what the difference is. But there was okay. a lot of flash and smoke and mirrors. And it was like, they were using software to make it run faster and like automatically reinvest and blah, 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 which I think just makes it like burn out faster so that the people at the top can scoop the, the winnings faster. Um, and don't even get me started on how lotteries are legal if the state runs them, but not legal if they're like people running numbers. <laughs> like, <laughs> But um so anyway, in a nutshell, like no value is being, no goods and services are being exchanged and you get paid for people signing up, not people buying something. And so in the doTERRA scheme, um, scheme, in the doTERRA compensation <laughs> plan, I mean, scheme, I is, like, <laughs> scheme is not a negative, negative word. word. It's not right. a negative word, but anyway, um, everything they pay out has to do with sales with the exception of the one part of it, which is very, very minor, but everything, even their um, leadership bonus pools are profit sharing essentially. Um, so if they sell nothing, nobody makes anything. Like if, if everybody in the whole world stopped buying oils tomorrow, the whole compensation would fall apart. Like nobody would make a penny. You really only- but now make I'm dying to know what the one part of it you're referring to is. Uh, the power of three is not- um, not, I mean, it's based on sales, but it's not a direct uh, commission percentage. Like everything right. else is a it's percentage. Been, but it's still based on sales and it it's is. also based on like structure. Like it's kind of a baby leadership. Piece. Yeah, it's like in the middle. It's tied but to both. Like, yeah. Most of it is direct commission. Like they pay 35 cents of every dollar 
it's not quite because of the PV, but whatever, let's just keep it simple. 35 cents of every dollar goes to commissions and they distribute that around to the people who are involved in making the sale. And then they also have what they call leadership pools, but even those are based on, they're not really profit sharing because they're on direct gross revenue, but that's like a percentage of revenue. So they say, whatever revenue we had this month, let's take this percentage and then we divide it all up. So it's all based on actual sales volume. There's nothing, you don't get paid when someone signs up if they don't buy anything. You don't get paid if, somebody signs somebody up if they don't like if I sign you up and you sign someone else up and neither one of you buy anything I make zero dollars and that's really what distinguishes it there is no part of the compensation plan that has to do with um anything except for direct to consumer sales Um, I think also one of the big distinctions that the FTC has stepped in in the last I don't know five six years and said um, that most net, that all reputable network marketing companies have taken the time to really make a distinction around is you can't have um, a model that's all based on distributors, right? Like they most mm-hmm. companies want to recognize a really high percentage of pure customers that are continuing to reorder with them and not um, uh, quote, you know, retailers or distributors or whoever that are carrying the bulk of the product themselves and required to keep doing that to earn commissions. Right. Yeah. And doTERRA's pure customer is like 80 or 85%, I think. It's something it's really a, it's high. 85%. Yeah. It's yeah. Very high. And, and we laughed because when you were watching LuLaRoe with your mom, because so to get back to LuLaRoe for a minute. So one of the, the big way that they made money was people signing up with their startup packages and this is where it gets really slippery because people would sign up and they would buy um, wholesale a whole bunch of clothes with the hope of selling them at retail at some point. And the person would get paid. The person who signed them up would get paid this huge bonus um, based on that initial like wholesale order and not a retail sale. So let's say I have a LuLaRoe business and I sign you up and you order like $5,000 worth of leggings and shirts and skirts, which was a pretty typical starter purchase. If that sits in your garage, I get paid. And that is really a big distinction because, and they did after they, one of the things they talked about in the documentary is after they did get, somebody came after them, the FTC or whatever, I don't even remember. um, They started paying then only when like you were able to sell those leggings, not just like buy them. And right. That's and then a, they started to move away from, I mean, you could see a clothing model that was like, we sell to retail shops. And when our salespeople, you know, deliver and sell clothes, the shop's then responsible. I mean, there's all kinds of variations in the agreement, but it changes dramatically when it's layered and the way that LuLaRoe did. And they tried in their languaging, even in the documentary, if I'm remembering correctly, they really tried mixing like the yeah. two things, like we're a network marketing company because we're selling through direct sales, but also we have this compensation plan that's all mixed up and no, we're not, we're a direct to retail company, which those right. two things can't both be happening at the same time and have there be integrity behind it. Right. And you and I were both laughing because you're, <laughs> so another thing that distinguishes doTERRA is our price. So we're both distributors and our price is the same as a wholesale customer. So you do, if you want to get the best price, you do have to sign up with like a membership, like a Costco to get your discount. 
but I don't have a better, like I have customers call me sometime and they're like, you know, can you just send me this? I'm like, no, because the, I get the same price as you just order it from doTERRA. I don't get it cheaper. There is no cheaper than what a, a customer gets the same rock bottom price that we do. Uh, but we were laughing because your mom, when they were looking at the big inventories and where people were holding a lot of inventory and she was like, yeah, but you have a whole bunch of oils and you're like, well, but I don't have to. I just, I'm obsessed, I'm obsessed with them. <laughs> also, nobody's coming over to buy them, right? Like I have a new friend and he was going right on a trip mind. and I gave him a bunch of oils. Like, I'm like, here's all the stuff I wouldn't leave the U.S. without. And um, he was all excited. And he's like, I'm definitely going to buy a whole bunch of stuff from you. And I was like, no, no, like, that's not how this works. Like, right. No, this is my come stuff. Over to my house and shop for some <laughs> lavender. Like, right, this is just right. my own oil, like supply yeah, of stuff that I just love. Yeah, I know I have 300 bottles of oil, but they're not for sale. <laughs> and they're, they're just a backup for everything I need every month. I might need six bottles of Siberian fur. You don't know. <laughs> it was on sale. <laughs> it was on sale. It was a BOGO. But, and that is the big distinction, right? Like I'm standing in uh, my mother-in-law's condo and I have two shoe boxes full of oils, which is just what I grabbed from the house that was already open. I didn't even get into the whole like hundreds of bottles of stash but that's not inventory that's mine right you know right. it would be like if in LuLaRoe somebody went in my closet and said can I have these pants like no those are my pants I haven't <laughs> worn them yet but I might those someday <laughs> <laughs> right um, but it was funny because it is like when you see an oil fanatic an obsessed person <laughs> is this, is this a scam? Like, no, I bought every, and, and the other thing is like doTERRA gives a ton of free stuff away or whatever. So I have a lot of it that was free, but um, no, that's just my obsession. I don't have to, as a doTERRA distributor, hold any inventory at all. And that's one of the things I like. And also doTERRA doesn't give you anything for free because you're a distributor that it doesn't give its customers for free. Like right. the, the model yeah. of like how you get their product is really flat. And there, there are plenty, I mean, I've researched I could probably write a book just on direct sales models, um, but they, God knows I won't, but um, you know, there are plenty of companies where that I, that I think are fine, like not, um, not a scam. And they're, I mean, come on, we even talked about Mary Kay, right? Like there, there's a lot of like kind of the original women at home network marketing business. Like she, Mary Kay did so much good for women, especially at that time. But um you know, like they purchased products and they resold them to their, their customers. And that was how it worked in the beginning. Um, right. And now it's gotten some variants and Tupperware and whatever, but um, the, 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 where they made the money was on the sale to their customers and primarily, and that like when they resold the lipstick to their ladies at their little party, that's where they made the most money or Tupperware or et cetera. But, um, and then there was a, some of it that was based on like sort of coaching other people how to do that, right? Like investing and, in whatever. And even there, there's places where that model can be a little bit um, exploited, depending because I've heard from friends who have, and I wasn't going to name names, but you did. So whatever. Um, that I think uh, everybody got, should talk about Mary Kay because it's an absolutely fascinating study. And what, I mean, what she, like they're the story of the company is amazing just absolutely well, amazing what it did for women at home but now they have not I shouldn't say now I don't know much I have anecdotal stories of friends who have told me there can be a lot of pressure to buy more product than you need to help your upline hit volume goals 
and then right. they change the product and then you can't sell what you have. Um, and right. that is like a, an icky element of that. Like it, like it would be like, well, it's not, there's nothing in it. Like there's nothing like it in doTERRA because I don't sell to consumers and neither do you. Like they buy directly from doTERRA and doTERRA gives us a commission based on that sale period. Um, there is, I mean, you can technically sell retail, but I always tell people like, if you want to buy retail for me, just set up an account. You're as soon as you buy just order it online oil. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it pays for itself. Um, and so I, there is no inventory. There's no retail markup. There's none of that stuff. It's all just wholesale, wholesale. Um, and I would say that that was somebody inside the Mary Kay structure that is, um, like using that in a way that's exploitative with their, with their customer, you know, with right. their team base in a way that it's not really meant to be used because a lot of well, times people start Mary Kay or similar companies that are mostly makeup based that I can think of. And they want to be like a quote distributor because they get such a deal on the product. And right. then they're like, well, I can just resell to some of my friends and it'll be like this little thing. Um, and then when they want to order again, they at, at that discounted price or to keep that discounted price, they have to do it consistently. Um, and sometimes like I have a friend who was with the company a couple of years ago, like she had to purchase, she had to sell, purchase, sell, you know, like every six weeks, like $1,200 of product or she lost her every time, like her, her discount on what she was going to resell. So it got, it gets complicated and yeah. that doesn't mean it's illegal, but it means like one of the problems with direct marketing <laughs> is that people don't look at it like a real business and don't manage their own expectations inside it. Like you would starting a, a business and, um, and look at risk and all the, and look at all the pieces of it. And they only look at like, well, I have a friend that is successful at this. Like, that's not a smart way to start a business. Yeah. And, um, like for doTERRA to keep our discount, we have to pay them a $25 fee once a year and they give us a bottle of oil worth $25. So, you know, that's it. And that's for customers and distributors, nothing else you need to do. Um, but here's what's interesting. So in the Mary Kay model, they discontinue their lines all the time and that makes it harder for um, their distributors to sell. But I was actually thinking about before I switched to doTERRA and all natural stuff, I used to be a big fan of Scentsy, you know, those wax melts. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. They, I have to admit they did. Smell. I can't stand it now. I used to love to go into, um, uh, Bath and Body Works. And now I can't even walk past it in the mall. I just gag. Like I've detoxed myself so much from those artificial smells. But anyway, at the time, Sensi was baller. Like I even figured out some combo that made it smell like my grandma's house at Christmas time. It's awesome. But they did the same discontinuing to create a scarcity model that actually increased their oh. distributor's ability. Because if a bar was discontinued or they'd, or they'd tell ahead of time, right? This one's about to be discontinued. Like, oh, I better get six. It's my favorite one, vanilla birthday cake. And then every once in a while, they would have these, um, these like online polls, bring back my bar. And like people would vote and they would bring back like the 12 most popular scents for <laughs> right. a, a period of time. And it's like when doTERRA does BOGOs or exclusives or something, like they use scarcity and exclusives to actually pump up demand. Um, right. In a way that I don't Which, think is exploitative either. I mean, I love, I'm like, Ooh, I better order enough to get the free 
you know, red. I was going to say, like, I mean, I'm still waiting for Black House White Market to bring back my favorite color turquoise from seven years ago. Like, I mean, this is that's just marketing, right? But you have yeah. to really look carefully. And to transition to Lularoe, like that was some of what they did, right? Like they sold mm-hmm. um, only three thousand dollars of each quote print. No, and, three thousand um, pieces. Three thousand pieces, pieces. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And then that was it. So if you saw it now, I never really got, I, I never got into LuLaRoe, like after I already knew I wasn't into it and knew the company was maybe not great. Like I had a friend who decided to become a distributor and like, I really tried to encourage her not to do that. Um, but she did. And, you know, years, uh, two years later, she still had $5,000 of inventory and yeah. was really angry and upset about a lot of a lot of peace uh, and then I think she was able to send some of it back in their buyback thing yeah and and they're actually that thing that you were just pointing to actually screwed their distributors a little bit because a lot. um well yeah actually a lot the, the the scarcity of the print because if you had someone who got you into it who got you really excited and you went over to her house and you tried everything on and she helped you find the sizes that you that fit you the best like I did this I went to somebody's house because I loved their leggings and some of their shirts um and then I I wrote down I'm like this is the size in this style this has been this and this and this and then I just go online and find my favorite prints I don't shop with her anymore unless she happens to have what I want so I'm like she really got boned in that exchange and as a consumer I like feel a little bad but not really she wasn't a friend right she's a friend of a friend but um that 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 scarcity but you couldn't have purchased it from her anyway so it didn't matter no it's true like I would have well I mean if it was a close friend I would probably try to find something in her inventory that I could live with like I did buy a bunch from her but once people got excited they would just go online and like like LuLaRoe customers are really slutty (laughs) they just buy from whoever's Facebook page or whoever's whatever um and if you knew how to exploit that there were a lot of people that made a lot of money and were able to like one of my favorite couples on that documentary was where um one time she was away when her box came and she was like oh my gosh you have to do an unboxing live on Facebook and he's like okay I guess and he's like you know her husband was like yeah her husband he's like kind of like a I don't know how to describe him like kind of a bear guy you know like b-e-a-r like a bear you know yeah like a man's man like a man's man right I didn't want to put it that way but like not the kind of guy that you (laughs) he wasn't into it at all he was just like I help wife. Yes. And he was so adorable and cute. Like he's unboxing going, and this one is, I guess, a medium and it's kind of green. Like you can see, he was just really funny. And then that became like their <laughs> shtick and people watched because they love, he was so funny. Um, and so you could make it work for you, but like that scarcity model actually boned their distributors because nobody was loyal at all. And there was no um, capture. There was no customer capture. Like doTERRA has a customer capture model where if you sign up as my customer, you're mine, whatever you buy from doTERRA, doTERRA knows to pay me the commission because I'm the one who brought you in. Um, you can't like go buy from Susie. You can, but you'd have to pay her retail price or whatever. So they do a good job of customer capture because they know there's a huge investment of education and support right. when a person first starts. Um, and okay. uh, yeah, wait, wait, I want to, I want to rein back in just a little bit, like for everybody who rough. doesn't know, uh, but anybody who doesn't know, like kind of give us like the quick synopsis of LuLaRoe, like you know, I think everybody knows if they didn't that they're leggings, but like say, oh yeah, you know, just like kind close. of the story. 
Yeah. So that then I can say some other things I want to about it. Yeah. So what's so funny is I, we were talking before we started the podcast of, it's really interesting to distinguish a toxic business practice that's based in malicious intent and one that's based in just flat incompetence. And right. I think the LuLaRoe Unfortunately, started, both can be just as dangerous. Unfortunately. Yeah, right. The end fact, who cares? Um, I mean, you can be a little more sympathetic to the person who's doing something toxic because they're a moron. But um, so what's funny is it started this woman, the, the founder is a husband and wife, but it's really the wife's show. And although there were some interesting dynamics in that too, <laughs> where they ask at one point, they ask him to start explaining the bonus structure, the controversial bonus structure. And she reaches over and grabs his arm and goes, let me do this one. You're just going to start talking logic. <laughs> like, this isn't about math, darling. It's like, wow, that's quite something. But anyway, she's got this amazing entrepreneurial eye. And she, um, she was going to, she was working at this department store and they had expensive little girls dresses. And then she went to a swap meet. We have one of those in Tucson too. And um, saw the same dresses for like a fraction of the price. But the thing is, is there was no presentation or production value or styling or anything. And I actually have a friend who has a business where she does this, where um, she'll buy things from Chinese wholesalers and then style them so cute and put them in cute pictures and whatever. And then she's able to sell them. Um, And she used to feel bad. She's like, I'm making so much money. I'm like, listen, what you're selling is your ability to see what's going to be pretty. Cause she showed me one time one of the pictures from the Chinese Fuller website and the dress just looks like a rag on a nail, but she bought, she could see the potential of it. And she's she marketing. It like, I don't think that's yeah. different than somebody staging in a house for sale. I right. Mean, exactly. There's totally a gift that. in that. Yeah. It's yeah. a hundred that that's a really great analogy. Cause it's a hundred percent that. So what she did is she went to these swap meet guys and she's like, let me have a party at my house. So she had pretty rails and, you know, put, I presume put her daughter in the cute little dresses and paraded them all around and she sold a ton and they gave her a giant cut. Um, so she did that for a while. And then she found these maxi skirts that were really cute. And um, she did the same thing, right? She would source them at a place that was like dusty and dirty and off the beaten tracks or whatever, and then come and sell them to suburban women with money, right? That's basically their, their target market. And um, one woman came one time on behalf of her friend and she was like digging through this big box. And so right then she's like, hey, why don't we make this a business for you? And she kind of invented initially a very simple model where it was basically a markup model, sell resale, buy whole or buy wholesale, sell retail, and you keep the difference. Um, and that's how LuLaRoe really started. And then as it grew and grew and grew and they grew way too fast. Also fair to say, nothing wrong with that no no, no that's not like there's nothing illegal nothing questionable no, about that no not not zero questionable about it it was actually a really reasonable business like you know i'll go buy there's a million businesses that work like that i'll go buy exactly that's basically the freaking grocery store like there's grocery <laughs> store wholesale wholesalers and then the retail like i used to buy from when where i lived in maryland there was a produce market um where I would go every morning and get this really fresh stuff. And he was going like to the docks every morning at 4 a.m. and picking the best stuff for the day and then bringing it back to his market. And we would buy it. Like there's value in that service. I don't want to go to the docks at 4 a.m. And I don't want to buy a hundred oranges. I want to buy three oranges. Um, So, you know, bulk sailing, nothing wrong with that. But then they started growing super crazy. And then um, 
and this is where the incompetence comes in. They have like a million kids and they hired all their kids and put them in where they were completely un- unqualified. Um, right. And one of them invented some kind of compensation plan in Excel, like, you know, overnight one night. <laughs> and that was the bonus. A big part of it was the bonus structure. And they were a little cagey. Like they showed, they had not only interviews with these people, this is a great documentary. You should watch it, but um, the docu-series, I guess. Um, they, they also had deposition video that they used because they got deposed over some of the stuff and they were super cagey about that business thing or that bonus plan. And like, Oh, our son didn't really know what he was talking about, blah, blah, blah. But that's when they created like, Hey, if you can convince someone to buy $5,000 worth of stuff, we'll give you this insanely large and huge bonuses. Like women were selling a little bit and then they were starting to get five figure bonus checks every single month. Um, based on the people they were signing up. And then there was so much, um, it was a little embarrassing for me as a woman of my generation that they got their most interest when they got the kid from Saved by the Bell to be at their convention. <laughs> I was like, oh God, yeah. I hate, I hate white suburban women. I am one and I just hate them. They're the worst. But now, if um, I had been new kids on the block, I could have understood. I'm not, see, totally, no, kidding. I, I'm not I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but um they had so much demand that they had that like crazy waiting list and like someone would call you and you were supposed to put in the number in your phone, like life-changing opportunity, unicorn emoji like that. So that when they called, you knew to take the call and people right. were like salivating by their door or by their phones for an opportunity to buy $5,000 worth of these clothes. And part of it is because the people were making crazy money um, and they were pulling them up on stage, flashing their giant checks. And they had, People who were waiting, they started having events. So they didn't let people sign up right away. They had to be onboarded. Some of them would wait like three months. Right. So is that enough? I mean, you said. Well, say, say where you, like, let's say where, where things really went off the rails. Like, so they started to go really fast. They had some kid. Now, mind you, this is, was already a multi-million dollar business. And then they had one of their kids create a compensation plan on an Excel spreadsheet. who doesn't know shit about anything with business or marketing or what's legal like they really really skirted um like where it would have been time to build integrity they skipped that and right I see I do think that happens in a lot of small business and in network marketing that's run like small business when you have like one crazy guy at the top and we say this all the time like you and I have worked with startups and we always talk about like the crazy person who started it is never the person to lead it long-term. Like I've never seen that. Mm -mm. You need a team or you need somebody who's going to hand off the reins as the company develops. Right. Someone with that. um, And that's one of the reasons I love that uh, doTERRA has seven founders because it really mitigates one of them going nuts. Um, Right. And I'm thinking about a startup I worked for where um, (laughs) the founder was so crazy And everybody just put up with his behavior that he one time um, was sitting in a meeting and he picked his nose and put the booger on the shoulder of one of my friends in a meeting. Oh my gosh. And then he was pointing and like, he, 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 he. And my friend was like, oh my God, what do I do? This is like my boss's boss. And I mean, that is just talk about abusive nutball behavior. And there's some stuff too that he said and did in customer meetings that is so vulgar that I won't even say it in the ladies room. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. You just can't make that kind of stuff up. No, no. And 
I, and also I have to say, I've never worked for a family owned business that didn't have some kind of like crazy interpersonal, some element of it, um, where like, it was just some kind of nutty, like, like the, the son-in-law is completely incompetent, but he's in charge of whatever, or you're not allowed to wear red because the founder's wife doesn't like the color red, like just crazy shit that you would never see at a non-family company. I've never been at a company like the family owned companies always have way more of that crazy stuff than any like regular company. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, that's why as a consultant, that was some of the first stuff I ever went in when I was going to take a family owned business to franchising. Like that's what you have to do is start to deal with all the, all the BS and the, the way that, and this happens in the nonprofit world too, right? Like it gets run like a church instead of like a business and it loses its integrity. I mean, that this is a really common business problem, but nonetheless, yes. like these crazy people stayed in charge um, and they didn't build the integrity or skill set along the way. Yeah. And so they built, and this is where I think the intention was to reward the people who were doing a good job and helping build the company but the, um, the rewards were so outsized. And then there was also a place where it was more like winning the lottery than building a skill. And so then a lot of the people couldn't handle those bonus checks. Like, like having money is a skill that you have to build just like any other skill. And if, it's why right. so many lottery winners completely go broke. Like they're bankrupt. They win the lottery and then they go bankrupt because you can't just It's the get same thing we were talking money. about. I mean, we were just talking about this with Nicolas Cage, right? A few weeks ago. Same, oh, yeah. same exact yeah. thing. Yeah. So these bonus checks, they, and, and also the company had a culture of encouraging um, conspicuous consumption. Like you had to always wear LuLaRoe. Like I remember the one woman who walked in and she was working at corporate and the person looked her up and down and was like, what is that? She goes, it's Chanel. I go, well, go put on, you know, some LuLaRoe. Like you had to wear the clothes, but your bag should be a Louis Vuitton bag and you should have like, a Chanel watch and um, expensive shoes and all the rest of it. Um, and then imagine talking- if somebody called me and was like, you haven't been to Italy recently lately. Like, I feel like it's really hurting your image. <laughs> like, right. I mean, it, but that is the, unfortunately that's why I re- referred to culture earlier, but continue yeah. with the story about what like really went wrong. Like obviously their integrity went down, but talk about how like they couldn't keep up with production and, and oh yeah some of that stuff and then they yeah. didn't deal with their mistakes well mm-hmm. yeah so the demand was growing so fast that they started cutting corners on the quality they the people that were designing the prints had to design so many new ones every day that they started just like wholesale lifting things from google image search um, without altering it at all they've been sued a bunch of times by content creators and then and it's funny because i watched this documentary but i actually remember this playing out i remember when this played out in real time that people started receiving product that was like moldy, wet, like stuff, like leggings in a bag that was full of water. And then, and then the company was like, I don't know what it, it, it I guess just put it in the freezer. You know, they had, they had on their webpage, like an FAQ, what do I do if my leggings are moldy and wet? And it wasn't like, smell, return it immediately the for freezer. a full refund. Yeah. Right. And they said there was like a customer service drop down where it was like smelly leggings all of a sudden showed up as one of the options Options. and it turned out that they were storing them outside on these pallets these big bins 
um, because they didn't have enough warehouse space, but they didn't make it right. And you and I were talking afterwards, like there was a time when we had a promo from doTERRA where we got this free oil and there was something wrong with the bottling or the, no, the caps, something went wrong with the caps. They ran a big batch of deep blue and there was something wrong with the caps and a whole bunch of them arrived leaky. Um, and doTERRA replaced every single one and they didn't even ask you to send back the leaky bottle. So you get a leaky bottle that was still like half full of deep blue. You tell them I got right. a leaky deep blue and they're like, oh my gosh, we're shipping another one to you so right sorry. away. You know, so yeah. sorry, so sorry. And and they immediately communicated to everyone, hey, we're getting reports that this run of deep blue, the caps were loose. We're so sorry. This is what to do. The customer doesn't have to send the old one back. All they have to do is email customer service or chat customer service or call customer service. We'll immediately send them a replacement. So sorry. And I think they were even giving like free points too. Like here's 10 points, which you can redeem for free stuff. Um, sorry, about sorry, the sorry for the inconvenience. Yeah. And they were making their distributors eat it in any yeah. way they could. Right. And they yep. couldn't keep up with, like they built so fast that they didn't keep up with the ability to solve problems. And then they solved problems like crazy people without looking at the impact, which again is lack of leadership and lack of a proper team because you like as the owners, like they might not have had the skill set to evaluate that. But again, like you said, the Dunning Kruger effect, like, no, you don't know. Because then they at some point said, okay, returns for life, like anything you don't want. And then, then they closed that down after three months and people were months. stuck. Yeah. I mean, that's insane. Yeah. And then people who bought $10,000 worth of leggings and it got so bad that like the guy, the male owner, um, the husband, he said at the end of the documentary, like, basically, I'm really sorry if you, like, we deal with proper lawsuits. And I'm really sorry if you had to file a lawsuit to get our attention, because we're so busy, like, hey, asshole, like, can you not hear what a douche you are? Like, yeah, that kind of stuff is just like, (laughs) no, he totally didn't hear that at all. But that's some of the stuff where it was just like, Horrific. And then my mom was kind of able at that point to go, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. But they're still, but she spent like a week really angry that they're still in business. Yeah. Well, and let me say one thing about the demand too, because I don't want to whoosh past this. They weren't able to keep up with their demand, but it was demand for people wanting to sign up and buy a giant package to sell LuLaRoe. It was not consumer demand for their stuff. Right. Right. There was a lot of demand for their stuff, but there was never a time when consumers couldn't get clothes. There was always plenty. I've never once in my life thought, I really want some leggings like nobody has any. There's always just a, a, a feast, you know, an embarrassment of riches for the consumer. So the demand they were trying to keep up with was just new distributors onboarding with these five, six, seven, ten thousand $10,000 purchases. That's the demand they couldn't keep up with. And that's where it got really skeevy because it never occurred to them to go, you know what? And their existing distributors were begging them, please slow down the onboarding because we can't get our stuff, like the existing distributors. So that was not consumer demand. That was artificial demand. It's not like when doTERRA sold out of Copaiba because everyone lost their shit about it. Right, like They came out with Copaiba. They said, we think this will be enough for a year. And they sold out of it in what a month? Or no, they yeah. they were they they sold so much in the first month that, that they clamped down and said you can only buy one at a time, um, and then we'll have some more in six months from now. That was a hundred percent consumer demand. There were no distributors like better buy twenty bottles of Capaiba just in case. Um, right. So it it they're so con- their distribution model 
is connected to consumption, like actual end consumer consumption. I mean, we all hoard a little bit. I hoard a little bit, but it's still what I want for myself, for my family. Um, right. And right, like I wouldn't give you my last bottle of breathe unless you were like lying on my floor, literally unable to breathe. And then you would pour it <laughs> and then I give an you empty five sparingly. <laughs> yeah. You would like pour some of it into an empty five mil and then give me that. Be like, yes, go to will call as fast as you can. Um, okay. Can you but, say, yeah, their scaling was totally, and it was feeding those crazy bonus checks. So they're, they're making these shittier and shittier products and they're sending these five figure bonus checks to their people and then the people at the bottom are receiving these crappy products that then the consumers don't want. Then people really started complaining, like, I wore these leggings once and they have a giant hole in them. Like, they weren't the greatest quality, but the first few I got, they never tore or anything right. like that, you know? All right. Okay, you so say one of the things, so one of the things, there's two things that I thought were really interesting in the documentary that we haven't touched on. One is I just want to say, like, there's some guy sitting behind the desk, this old guy, and he like hates network marketing. So he, they throw his clips in like alongside the narrative around, around what um, LuLaRoe is doing wrong. But there's no like, hey, this is who this person is. Like that kind of stuff drives yeah. me crazy. But, yeah, and it's like, fine. Like what he was saying wasn't wrong, but it was also like one-sided. Yeah, right. He's like, I hate all network marketing. They're all a scam. And then he was the you know, the expert, they never had anybody on there even to make the distinctions like we're doing between legitimate, honest, integrous, um, business practices. direct sales. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because there's nothing but wrong there with was... Oh, and even, uh, before we wrap, cause I know we need to wrap soon. E- even inside doTERRA, I found that clip Remember that I told you yesterday where, um, <laughs> there was a woman, it was like, again, a screenshot of a Facebook post or whatever, where a one woman was complaining because she had asked her friends to like buy her a new iPhone and nobody would. Oh, was I, like, not inside, you guys. but this was on Reddit, right? Yeah, well, it was a screenshot of like a Facebook post on Reddit. So this woman, but what was so funny is like, she's ranting because no one would buy her a free iPhone and she didn't want to cheat, uh, like loser Android. And then the last line is, and none of you have asked me about the fucking amazing products from my fucking doTERRA business that I hate you all, you fuckers. Like that, like fantastic. So <laughs> even inside a legitimate, you know, business model, there's always going to be people who there are skeevy about people. it. Although I think it's uh, cross-cultural in doTERRA. They really push against that nonsense. Yeah, I agree. I think that the cult, you know, like again, culture pulls for what it's pulling for. And that's why it's really important to look at that, whether it's, you know, a corporate business that you're joining or, you know, a, a network marketing company, like culture is really important in the long run and the short run. Let yeah. me, um, I think we should finish with your favorite quote, if you can remember it, that you were like really sad that the husband said about um, women. Do you remember? No, I, I don't. just queued you up with that. You were like, yeah. I really like this guy. He said something to the effect of like the untapped power of like oh. women staying at home. Right. No, like I loved, I loved the quote, but I hated it in his mouth. I thought you meant I hated the quote. No, I loved no, no, it made it really like dirty and awful. Yeah. Yeah. Because you and I have said it all the time, which is like one of the greatest untapped resources in the country, at least in the United States is all of these mothers who are highly educated, very skilled, a lot of whom have had careers who are now choosing to stay home with their kids. And though that resource is not available and he, he 
like, again, there's nothing wrong with their business sense. Um, they're like sniffing out an opportunity sense. He identified that as this amazing untapped resource. And he said something about like, you always get value when you tap, when you can find a resource that no one else knows is valuable and you tap it. There's some quote like that, but I was like, Ooh, yuck. I can't believe this scuzzball is the one who just said that. But he looked at it the same way. Like when we talk about little Emily's uh, magic flower, like the difference right. between someone arriving on those shores and going, oh my goodness, I could trade with these magic flower farmers and I know how to make fertilizer and I can teach them and bring them, you know, clamshells from my country to help them grow versus someone going in, you know, like, like Columbus in his journals going, these people would make excellent slaves. <laughs> like that's an actual right. quote from Columbus yeah. journal. Right. And that's how it felt, right? Like rather than landing and going, oh my gosh, look at this industrious people. I would love to trade with them. I wonder what valuable thing I have to get some of their cool stuff in exchange. He's Columbus, this LuLaRoe guy is Columbus washing up on the shore going, these stay-at-home moms would make excellent slaves. Yeah, and it just made me want to Yeah, right. All right, well, there we go, I think. I mean, I I think that it is like, I mean, I think people should watch it just for the interest in, in business, like it moves pretty quickly. And I think listening for culture, listening for, um, you know, like, just knowing something that's true isn't enough. Like you have to listen through the lines of where are they going? Like, how will they deal with growth? I mean, it presents a lot of good questions and we should definitely talk about infinite game soon. And then yes. you can nerd out about Simonson and we can kind of give some framework to my crush that we were talking about. Um, and I feel like we barely touched on. Lynn has to go be alone in the ladies room now that we've said Simonson. <laughs> no, I know we might have to have a LuLaRoe part two, which is really I sad. <laughs> I know. I don't really want to talk about LuLaRoe for two whole podcasts, but I feel like, I feel like we barely touched on the parts of the conversation um, that you and I have even talked about privately in the ladies room and like how I'm glad you said that. Cause I was thinking to myself, like, also there's all these little pieces. Like I wanted to talk about, about the culture and women running businesses versus their husbands. Plus you know, just the culture of stay-at-home moms and some of the really interesting things that it made me think about. So I think we should maybe talk again about it. Yeah. And that'll we'll give see. everybody time to go watch it before we talk about it again, because <laughs> the women running businesses versus their husbands, you remember that they had the little training about how once your business gets to be a certain size, your husband should take it over. Remember that at one of their little leadership summits? Yes, I know. I, I do. Okay. I guess all we decided is like, you know, and we should probably, you know, resume the conversation. Yes. Okay. So we're going to leave it there because we've got to stop talking at some point every time. <laughs> and we'll see you next time in the ladies room. See you next time. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to catch us in the ladies room. You can also find Lynn at A Spacious Life on Facebook, Instagram, and in Clubhouse. And find Allie at 5 Billion Entrepreneurs on LinkedIn and Instagram. Thank you.